I don't know about you guys, but I am amazed at how proficient I can be at procrastinating for 12 months <laughs> in a year and then somehow get motivated come January 1 as if it's different than December 31st. I don't understand. Like, I'm going to start exercising more. I'm going to lose a little weight. I'm, I'm going to finish the project that I never quite got started on. I mean, we all have this list of things that we're going to do. But if you're like me, all too often, it's the very same list year after year after year. I sent something to our small group guys. Greg will remember this. If you've ever heard of Babylon Bee, it's kind of a humorous satire. And uh, one of the things they sent out this week, it says, uh, doctors confirm that life after 35 is just an endless cycle of dieting and back pain until you die. <laughs> it's funny, but sadly true, right? It's like, dang, that kind of hit close to home. So what do we do? We start every year a lot of times trying to make plans how to overcome these obstacles in life. We strategize on how to do better and try harder. But we're just not very good at following through with those plans. And that's the big flaw when it comes to New Year's resolutions. And that is they depend on us. <laughs> they depend on us and what we think makes life better. But in our passage this morning, James is going to offer an alternative perspective. Instead of plans that ultimately depend on us, James is going to encourage us to let God make our plans, aligning our life with his good and perfect will. So before we look at that together, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for the privilege to come together as we close out this year and look forward to a new one. Would you just allow us to um, really relish in the goodness, even in the hard times, because of your faithfulness and your presence in our lives. May we anticipate the continuing work that you will do in and through us. And I just pray that in some way this morning, Lord, as we look to a new year, that you will kind of realign our focus, reshape our perspective to be more in line with what your word says, what your spirit speaks into our hearts and lives so that we may more faithfully follow you this new year. We pray this in your name. Amen. So if you would, turn to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. Love for you to follow along with me. I'm going to begin reading in verse 13. So James chapter 4, verse 13. James writes in verse 13, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit I want to pause there. James begins with an, an interesting statement there in the beginning. He says, come now. Um, it's another way of saying, listen up. Pay attention. Because in the previous verses, he's been addressing this issue of pride and arrogance. Which is an issue, as you read through James's letter, of deep concern for him. That's why it says in James chapter 4, verse 6, that God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. 
He's concerned because he's witnessed the damaging effects of pride and arrogance in the life of a church. The conflict it creates when people walk in the ways of the world, trying to rely on human wisdom instead of trusting in the truth of God's word. And so he warns them in verse four. It's a strong warning. He says, so adulteresses. And and what he's trying to say in that strong beginning is, you're supposed to have a relationship with me, a covenant relationship with me, but you're relying on things outside of that relationship for hope and happiness. So he says, you adulteresses, do you not know what friendship with the world is? It's hostility towards God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. These are strong words, aren't they? So in light of that strong warning, he says in verse 13, listen up, pay attention, don't miss this. You who say, as it says in verse 13, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit and let's be honest with each other. When you read that verse, do you see anything wrong with that statement? I mean, at first glance, it's like, so what's the big deal? It seems pretty benign. In fact, in our world today, in good old America, this is how we live life. This is capitalism. Go to such and such a city and make a profit and have a good life. But as a Christian, we need to see that a statement like this is filled with all kinds of arrogant assumptions. It's a presumptuous plan that says, look, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna go to such and such a city. I'm gonna implement my plan and I'm gonna make a profit. The assumption being God's will is for me to live a comfortable and happy life, financially successful and secure, that if I do the right things, then things, life will go well. But I want you to notice that that the way he phrases this is purposeful because there is no indication that God was ever consulted in this plan. They didn't ask about where, they didn't ask God where they might go. They didn't speak to him about what they might do. Instead, they just made a profitable plan and then ask God to bless it. Finding security and success trust, instead of trusting in God's provision. But let's take finances out of the question for a moment. And let's just say we have a plan where we talk about the assumption of good health, strong relationships, emotional stability. Because we often assume that God has a pain-free path for us as we look to the future, that if we do the right things, then life will go well. We believe at our core that God's plan for us is to live free from struggle. We know that because nobody ever puts that in their plan, right? Our plans are always free from struggle or difficulty. You see, the prideful assumption in verse 13 is I know God's best for me. I know 
God's best for me. And so I make a plan based on that assumption, and then I just ask God to bless my plan. We look for security and financial success. We find hope and good health. We look for peace that are in relationships that are conflict-free. We make a trouble-free plan, and then we pridefully assume that must be God's will for me. But James kind of reshapes our perspective in verse 14. Let's look at that together. He says in verse 14, yet... You do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. In fact, you are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Many of you know Nick Sanders' brother passed away this last week, apparently while mowing his front yard. Not too many years ago, we had the same thing happen to a gentleman in our small group who died of a heart attack while chopping wood in his backyard. One day you're happy and healthy. The next thing you know, you're standing across from the doctor who's diagnosed you with cancer. Things like this happen every single day. And I don't know about you, but I feel like the older I get, the more frequently they occur. We all make plans for tomorrow, but James is reminding us tomorrow may never come. You can assume that your future is going to be filled with all kinds of comfort and security, but the truth is you have no idea what your future will be. And so James reminds us that that our life is like a vapor. It's like a mist that starts in the morning, and then as soon as the sun comes up, it's gone. It's here for a little while, and then it goes away, which is, if you think about it, a very sobering thought, isn't it? Now, if you're young, admittedly, this is a hard one to grasp because it sounds like something old people say, doesn't it, right? I mean, you've got your whole life in front of you. What college you're going to go to, what career you're going to have, who you're going to marry, how many kids you're going to have. I mean, the list goes on and on. But as you get older, it is amazing how fast these things fly by. In fact, it's shocking. And I don't use that word lightly. It is shocking how quickly things can change, how unexpected life can be especially as you continually encounter things that you never saw coming. And you quickly realize there are no guarantees. See, I I think James is trying to help us grasp the reality of this truth. Because if we get lost in our plans for tomorrow, then we lose sight of how valuable today can be. Today's a gift And tomorrow is not guaranteed. We must learn to make the most of every day. Jesus actually tried to help us understand this same truth as well. He he realizes in our humanity how easy it is to get lost in all the what-if worry about tomorrow. And so he tells us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, about your tomorrow, what you will eat or drink, 
about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. It's a beautiful time of year to imagine this because I don't know about you, but every morning and every evening, the geese fly over in hundreds. It's a beautiful thing. I just can't help but stop and watch. And he says, just think about the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can, can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Now, I want you to notice here, what's interesting about this is how James and John are talking about two opposite extremes, right? James is referring to the person who pridefully assumes that life will go well, that their future's filled with comfort and security, while Jesus, on the other hand, is talking about the person who's worried about whether they're going to have food on the table or clothes to wear. But both of them are imagining their future without reference to God. So Jesus goes on and says in verse 31, so don't worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I think it's interesting in this passage where Jesus talks about pagans. Pagans are people who simply don't believe in God. They don't do anything in their life in reference to his reality. They imagine a life that depends on prideful self-determination. In other words, my life depends on me and my plans just like we see in the beginning there of verse James. This is what I'm gonna do. They live based on priorities that are centered on what's best for me. And James reminds us as Christians to, to live each day with a kingdom purpose in mind. In other words, living on earth with a, with a view towards heaven, <laughs> investing our time in things that, that have eternal value, that, that last beyond the limits of this world. Focusing not on future success, but on daily faithfulness. And then trusting God with our tomorrow. C.S. Lewis says this, I think this is really helpful. He says, aim at heaven and you get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you get neither. I think that's part of what both James and John are trying to say. They're, they're teaching us to treasure the moments, to learn to be faithful today because we simply do not know what our future will hold. But we absolutely know who holds our future. And so that's where we put our trust. Look at how it continues in verse 15. He says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him, it is sin. You see, James, I need you to know, is not against planning, okay? He's not against thinking forward. 
In fact, he encourages us to live an intentional life. But instead of making our plans and then asking God to bless them, he says maybe we should begin by asking God what our plans should be. Seeking to align our desires with his good and perfect will. It's the conviction that that our life is ultimately in his hands. That's why he says in verse 15, I don't know if you caught it, he says, if the Lord wills, we will live. Do you see that? If the Lord wills, we will live to see tomorrow and do such and such a thing. That's why the psalmist prays in Psalm 39.4, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered. Remind me how fleeting my life really is. In other words, Lord, help me make the most of every day. Because at the end of the day, the goal is not to do great things for God. Don't miss this. The goal is not to do great things for God. We think that, right? Sometimes we even make plans accordingly. I want to do great things for God. That's not the goal. The goal is is to live out of the great things God is doing in us. Day by day, moment by moment. It's Ephesians 2.10, right? We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that he prepares beforehand so that we can walk in them. Eugene Peterson in the mission in the uh, message says, steep your life in God reality, in God initiative, in God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. But clearly, as we look at the passage in James, this is not what he was seeing in the church. It's why he's writing. He's deeply concerned. Instead of relying on the Lord, people were bragging about what they were accomplishing apart from from him. And James says that's not just wrong. He says that's evil. Because back in James chapter 1 verse 17, he writes this. He says every good thing, every good thing given, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from God, the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. So the boasting is evil because ultimately it's fulfillment in worldly pursuits instead of trusting in God's faithful provision. It's what John, 1 John 2.16 describes as the boastful pride of life, finding contentment and comfort in the pleasures of this world. So James concludes in verse 17, therefore, to the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him... It is sin, which, to be honest, when you read this at first glance, it's like, what does this have to do with what he's been saying, right? It seems a little bit disconnected. So what does it have to do? Well, in a word, everything, and here's why. Because the only way we know what is good is to know God. The only way to know what is good is to know God. In fact, Just to make that point, think back to the forbidden tree in the Garden of Eden. Remember that? Remember how God identified it as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It it was forbidden, not because it had some kind of magical secret powers, all right? 
It was forbidden because it represented the pursuit of wisdom apart from God. It's a tree that says, I get to choose what's good and right for me, which is the epitome of sinful arrogance. Because the only way we have the ability to know the right thing, much less the power to do the right thing, is because of God and his work in us. It's our independence from God that leads to sinful choices, and it's our reliance on God that leads to a life of righteousness. James is encouraging us to look to the Lord for his direction, relying on the Lord for his provision, and living each day with that kingdom purpose in mind, abiding in Christ on a daily basis. So I want to encourage us as we begin our new year together that we consider the counsel that James has given us. Let's not go on and and come up with these great New Year's resolutions, these, these plans for the coming year, and then ask God to bless them. Let's begin by asking God what our plans should be. Let's live in in daily uh, dependence on his faithful provision instead of the the comfort and security of our worldly pursuits, the size of our bank account, the meaning and purpose of our job, the the, the good health and everything that we so desire in this world because here's what I know to be true. 2024 will be filled with both joy and sorrow with laughter and pain. Some of it will be expected. Some of it you'll see coming. Most of it you will not. But whatever it is, let's agree together to look for the Lord in the midst of it, seeking his kingdom and his righteousness, looking each day to walk in an abiding relationship with him. Because here's the reality It's our relationship with him that allows us to endure what is hard. It's also that same relationship that allows us to be grateful for what is good. It reminds us that this world is not our home and that our comfort and security ultimately and completely is found in Jesus Christ alone. Amen? It's how we lift our voice and pray. Lord, not my will but your will be done. Let's pray. Father, that really is our heart. We want to begin this new year in humble dependence. We don't want to make any plans that don't first begin with the question, Lord, what is your desire for me? Lord, how do you want me to live each day in a way that brings praise in glory to your name. Lord, help me live on earth with a view towards heaven so that everything that I invest myself into has an eternal purpose in mind that works out of not what I'm doing for you, but what you are doing in me, the good works that you've prepared beforehand so that I can walk in them. Lord, help us live according to to the goodness and grace that is a gift 
every single day. We pray this in your name. Amen. I love having kids in the service because, quite honestly, you adults are boring. And I don't know if you heard it, but I had all kinds of amens this morning. I don't know what you heard, but that's what, that's what I heard. I did want to ask for your prayers. Uh, as you guys know, every year I take a week uh, to plan and prepare for the year, um, uh, thinking through sermons and those sorts of things. And I try to implement what we just talked about this morning. Lord, what do you want? Because every single year, we'll get halfway through the year in a particular passage on a particular day, and it just so happens to align with what was happening in our world and in the life of our church. I can't plan that, but the Lord can. And so I would just ask that you pray for me this week as I spend that time looking to the Lord. And this is going to be a little different this year because we're going to be going to Dallas in order for Terry to do some things with her mom's house that just need to get done after her passing. And to be honest, I'm a little nervous about being there and being present with her, but also being faithful to preparing for the year. So would you just ask the Lord, <laughs> calm my heart, calm my heart. And we'll just trust the Lord that he shows up even in the midst of crazy distractions, right? Just like this morning. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for this sweet church family and for our time together. I do ask that as we begin our year, we look to you and we just ask you, what do you want it to look like? What's your plan? How do I live according to your will to fulfill your purposes for the praise and glory of your name? May we live each day with that in mind. And we pray this in that name, the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Have a great day.